Hello, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family. It's Sunny Sharma back with the India Inside podcast. Now, today I'm going to introduce the topic of the legacy of Malcolm X. Um, and in doing so, I'm going to talk a little bit about who the figure of Malcolm X was, um, and also by analog and by bringing up um, very interesting ideas from one of his most famous speeches, the ballot or the bullet speech in 1964. And at the end of doing so, I will um, discuss 10, I will illustrate um, 10 um, of the most famous quotes by Malcolm X, which really highlight who Malcolm X was. Now to start off, Malcolm X was one of the most dynamic, dramatic, and influential figures of the civil rights era. Malcolm X was assassinated at the age of 39, but his political and cultural influence grew far greater in the years after his death than when he was alive. Malcolm X was a person who fought for the rights, who um, uh, articulated rights of African Americans and uh, advocated segregation over integration in, in America for African Americans. And Al Malcolm X said um, famously that um, if America wasn't careful, there would be uh, there would be um, there would be a, pre a preparation for a racial explosion in the country. And Malcolm X famously said, "A racial explosion is more powerful than an atomic explosion." So now a little bit more about Malcolm X, where he comes from. He joined the Nation of Islam and changed his name to Malcolm X, eliminating that part of his identity he called a white imposed slave name. His last name was Little and he gave up that last name because it was from slavery. As historian Pinel Joseph describes it, the, the, national, the nation of Islam's unorthodox interpretation of Islam was mixed with the doctrine of black personal responsibility and economic self-sufficiency along with theological fundamentalism, anti-white mythology, and total racial, racial separation as a means to black redemption. As Malcolm X declared in the speech, in the ballot and the bullet speech, the only effective solution to racial inequality was bl black economic and social separatism. In the ballot of the ballot or the bullet speech, he outlined a new global sensibility in the fight for racial justice. This is important. He said, "We intend to expand the freedom struggle from the level of civil rights to the level of human rights." Um, he was the only, if not the only, but few people who said that we have to expand the notion of the freedom struggle from civil rights to human rights. Um, the racial diversity he experienced in the Middle East, see, well, his mindset changed a little bit because the racial diversity he experienced in the Middle East, especially among Muslims, led him to discard his strict notion of black separ separatism for a wider, more inclusive movement against white supremacy and colonialism. In the summer of 1964, Malcolm X announced a new effort, the Organization of Afro-American Unity. And in doing so, Malcolm X um, was trying to create a coalition of African and Middle Eastern leaders um, to, to, uh, fight to eventually fight against the supremacy of segregation in America and abroad. Um, actor and activist O.C. Davis, you, this is important, eulogized him as our own black shining prince. In death, he became a seminal figure to an increasingly militant generation of young African Americans, a beacon for activists in the 18, 1960s black power and black arts movement. Now to analyze a little bit about important parts from the ballot or the bullet speech. So I, I won't go through everything he says in this speech, but I'll highlight some of the most important parts from it. 
to, um, to starters, one of the most important things he says in the speech is that the white man, the white man is too intelligent to let someone else come and gain control of the community of his, of the economy of his community. But you will, but um, African Americans will let anybody come in and control the economy of their community, control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the business under the pretext that you want to integrate. Malcolm, Malcolm said this made people out of their mind. He also said the man who is controlling the stores in our community is a man who doesn't look like we do. He is a man who doesn't even live in our community. So you and I, even when we try and spend our money on the block where we live or the area where we live, we're spending it with a man who, when the sun goes down, takes that basket full of money in another part of the town. After his again, after his pilgrimage to Mecca, Malcolm encouraged his coalition to keep religion to themselves in the fight for justice. So he said, "Keep it in the closet, but fight for justice along with other African Americans." And it was very important to Malcolm to show that um, he says in the ballot and the bullet speech, "We suffer political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation." All of them from the same enemy. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Anytime you're living in the 20th century, 1964, and you're walking around here singing, We Shall Overcome, the government has failed you. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today, it's <laughs> it's kind of funny. It drew laughter and applause, he said. Today, it's time to stop singing and start swinging. And Malcolm X also, in, in a way, criticized many of the African-American community constructively. He said, a Trump can sit, a coward can sit, anything can sit. Well, you and I have been sitting long enough and it's time for us today to start doing some standing and some fighting back. Um, but Malcolm X, another interesting thing that Malcolm X is that he didn't just draw upon local ideas. He also drew upon um, examples historically and politically from the international community. He said, every nation in Asia gained its independence through the philosophy of nationalism. Every nation on the African continent that has gotten its independence brought it about through the philosophy of nationalism. And it will take black nationalism to bring about the freedom of 22 million Afro-Americans here in this country where we have suffered colonialism for the past 400 years. We don't have second-class citizenship in any other government on this earth. They just have slaves and people who are free. Well, this country is a hypocrite. They try and make you think they set you free by calling you a second-class citizen. No, you are nothing but a 20th century slave. And in doing so, Malcolm, Des Malcolm didn't just talk about slavery. He also said, liberty or death is what we, we brought about the freedom of whites in this country from the English. Um, and Malcolm said, Malcolm gave this speech in 1964, and he emphatically said that this is the year when all of the white politicians are going to come into the Negro communities because it was the year of the election. You never see them until election time. You can't find them until election time. They're going to come in with false promises. And, and as they make these false promises, they're going to feed our frustrations. And this will only serve to make matters worse. I'm no politician. I'm not even a student of politics. I'm not a Republican, nor a Democrat, nor an American. And I've got enough sense to know it. Malcolm emphatically said, you and I have never seen democracy. All we have seen is hypocrisy. And this is one of the reasons why Malcolm thought the liberals are very hypocritical um, for their political pandering to the black community. 
Either way you go, that's who gets it. You're in a position to... um, African Americans during the election are in a position to determine who will go to the White House and who will stay in the doghouse. So this is one of the reasons why Malcolm believed that both the Republicans and the Democrats pandered to the black community um, during election time. And that's why the African American community were the decisive vote on who wins during the election period. And this is this is true not just in ni- the 1960s but also today. Um, and this is something that is very important that Malcolm laid out. I-, I bolded it. Is that he said you look at the structure of government that controls this country? It's controlled by 16 senatorial committees and 20 congressional committees. Of the 16 senatorial committees that run the government, 10 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. That's ha- that's more than half the committees. Of the 20 congressional committees that run the government, 12 of them are in the hands of Southern segregationists. And they're going to tell you and me that the South lost the war. So in many respects, Malcolm believed that even though the Union won the war, in many cases, segregation was the law of the land in America. And also, Malcolm said, at any time you find the government involved in a conspiracy to violate the citizenship or the civil rights of a people in 1964, then you are wasting your time going to that government expecting redress and reparations. Instead, you have to take that government to the world court and accuse it of genocide and uh, all of the other crimes that it is guilty of today. That goes back to the notion Malcolm X was trying to bring the notion of civil rights to human rights, and that's why Malcolm X brought the, the idea of ending segregation to the United Nations to an international committee. So here, um, so again, Malcolm says, now you tell me, how can the plight of everybody, everybody on this earth reach the halls of the United Nations and you have 22 million Afro-Americans whose churches are being bombed, whose little girls are being murdered, whose leaders are being shot down in broad daylight. Now you tell me why the leaders of this struggle have never taken their case to the UN. So, so Malcolm X believed that if other nations, many nations had brought in their issues to the UN, why, why is it the case that African Americans have never done so? And also, so to in conclusion of uh, this ballot and the bullet speech, Malcolm said, and the gospel of black nationalism, as I told you, means you should control your own politics of your community, the economy of your community, community and all of the society in which you live should be under your control. And lastly, Malcolm X, uh, you know, after um, going to Mecca, he had a conciliatory note. He said, I don't care what organization is. Join any kind of organization, civic, religious, fraternal, political, or otherwise, that's based on lifting the black man up and making him master of community. So Malcolm X, after going to Mecca, he thought he had a more universalized picture in that you can be in whatever organization you want as long as it is for the upliftment of of black and Afro-Americans. So also in an article said called Is It Time for a Reassessment of Malcolm X? Uh, it, it was stated that people tend to stereotype Malcolm X and see him just a, as a radical rabble ruser. And, and when you watch him in, in, in documentaries and films, which really lets him speak for himself, you see a much more nuanced, a much more thoughtful, a much more charismatic and highly intelligent man. And this is one of the reasons why Malcolm X was one of the greatest intellectuals of the 20th century. His indictment of, of, the, of the segregation and white community and his call for self-reliance and self-ownership 
ownership of the economic um, ownership and political ownership of African American communities. And unfortunately, he died when he was 39 before the realization of his dream. But many people took a, took it upon themselves to go forward with his ideas and to put, to try to put them into reality through the Black Power movement and Black arts and creativity. Now to end this. Uh, to, to end this podcast, I want to highlight 10 of the most important quotes by Malcolm X. Number one, the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent, and that's power because they control the minds of the masses. Number two, I believe in the brotherhood of all men, but I don't believe in wasting brotherhood on anyone who doesn't want to practice it with me. Brotherhood is, brotherhood is a two-way street. Number three, truth is on the side of the oppressed. Number four, without education, you are not going anywhere in this world. He shared this idea with Martin Luther King. Number five, nobody can give you freedom. Nobody can give you equality or justice or anything. If you are a man, you take it. Number six, we won't organize any black man to be a Democrat or a Republican because both of them have sold us out. Both of them have sold us out. Both parties have sold us out. Both parties are racist, and the Democratic Party is more racist than the Republican Party. Um... I don't know if that's particularly true, but I think it's an interesting observation. Uh, number seven, you have to realize that up until 1959, Africa was dominated by the colonial powers. And by the colonial powers of Europe having complete control over Africa, they projected Africa always in a negative light. Jungles, savages, cannibals, nothing civilized. So I feel like that quote is very important because Malcolm X spent most of his career trying to uh, put African Americans in a much brighter light, that they were they were, they were descended from a, a great civilization of leaders and um, the end of uh, enlightenment. And I, th I feel like Malcolm X did, uh, was very creative in portraying black people as having a very um, rich and cult rich cultural heritage behind them. Number eight, if you t Malcolm, sa Malcolm said, if you turn the other cheek, cheek, you can be a slave for a thousand years. Um, number nine, if, if, if a white man puts his hand around me voluntarily, that's brotherhood. But if you, if you hold a gun on him and make him embrace me and pretend to be friendly or brotherly towards me, then that's not brotherhood. That's hypocrisy. So Malcolm X was against, uh, false notions of brotherhood. He believed that people should not be forced into brotherhood, but that it has to come, come either by taking it or by, uh, self-reliance and um, economically and politically for the black community. And number 10, this goes back to the first first quote. Um, if you aren't careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. And so um, all in all, Malcolm X, he, he, he was very concerned with a local picture of how black people were being portrayed in America. But he also understood internationally that uh, black and brown people were being persecuted all around the world, especially in the global south. And Malcolm X in the mid-1960s knew that through a co coalition of black and brown and yellow people and by white people who wanted to join in the struggle, we could overcome the oppression of, of groups of people who owned the, the, the monetary system which really marginalized black and brown people around the world. And also, Malcolm understood the power of uh, narrative. That's one of the reasons why he was such a master of narration. And he understood that the media and newspapers ha could, could um, shape, shape narratives which portrayed people in a night of light and could end up um, being the final say in the control and oppression of people by higher powers, uh, particularly the white orthodoxy. 
So I thank you for listening to my podcast, and I'll be back with future podcasts on on the legacy of future on um, other leaders and uh, intellectuals and social reformers who I think are important for us to know about and learn from, um, so we understand their legacy and how we can benefit from the lessons they teach. Okay, thank you. Bye.